Welcome to the Script and Style Show, the web show where we talk about web development with the people that make it happen. Today's episode is brought to you by TrackJS JavaScript Error Monitoring. Know when errors hit your website with the context to find and fix bugs fast with TrackJS. Start your free trial today at trackjs.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the Script and Style Show. I'm Todd Gardner from TrackJS Error Monitoring and my co-host, David Walsh, creator of the popular blog, davidwalsh.name. In today's show, we're gonna be chatting about shipping without perfection. But first, how's it going today, David? I'm good, how are you? I'm great, I am super excited. I just got a new car. I saw that on Twitter. So. This is this is like a tradition now because when you got a Jeep, we talked about it on the show. Yeah. Did this did this replace the Jeep? This or? this replaced the Jeep. I traded in the Jeep for this for this. It was a it was a pretty fair like swap. Like I had about the the right amount of equity in it to like pull the whole thing off without changing really anything. Uh, I, I did not get it new. Uh, it's a 2016 uh, BMW uh, hardtop convertible. Baller. Which is just just super super nice. Um, the Jeep was a lot of fun, but like you know, anytime it was like going faster than like fifty miles an hour, you could tell that it was like struggling a little bit to like maintain that speed. And uh, you could take the top off, and it was great to tool around the city with that. But you couldn't really go fast with the top down, or the air just like smacked you in the face. So. This is kind of like uh, a little bit different vibe. You're ruining my future midlife crisis, by the way, because that was why the Jeep was going to be what I was excited about. You can still get a Jeep. Go for it, man. Well, if I have to go 16 miles per hour through the neighborhood for <laughs> optimal performance and experience, I don't think it's a good idea. No. So, so listen, like, the th- the thing I said about Jeeps when I got a Jeep is that like you can't measure a Jeep against like a Camry. It's not a car. It is an off-road vehicle that you can drive on the roads. So if you're going to do a lot of off-roading, like awesome, get a Jeep. It turns out I didn't do nearly as much as I expected I would. And when I still want to do it, because there's still a couple of trips I want to do, there's like a across Minnesota trail that opens next year that goes okay. from uh, Lake Superior to North Dakota, all on like back forest trails to the Iron Range Mountains. And I'm gonna totally do that, but I'm just gonna rent a Jeep to do it. So is there a, so I thought there was a thing where Jeep owners like honked or waved at each other. Yeah, there's so the is, Jeep wave, is there it's a, a thing. Is, is you, there, you, just, the, you, you, or, you pass another, it's only Jeep Wranglers, it's not all Jeeps. Okay. If you're you're passing another Jeep, you give them the wave as you drive by. And they all, like, I'd say 90% of Jeep owners do it. But what do, what do Beamer people do? Nothing. Beamer people are generally just- assholes. And so they just flip <laughs> each other off as they drive by. So you're going to become an <laughs> asshole. Awesome. Okay, so what's, what's in the news? Congratulations on the new car, by the way. That's really cool. Well, um, you have a, a similar thing. Didn't you say that you uh, you drive a Mercedes? We didn't need to bring that up. Why not? You're like <laughs> your future midlife crisis. That sounds like a current midlife crisis. <laughs> I should welcome you to the every maintenance service is going to cost way too much club. Oh, welcome yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure it will. Yeah. Thank you. So glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> 
right, so I, we have a couple of quick news items that we wanted to mention. Um, and I'll kick off with mine. They both relate to Microsoft. Um, mine is not necessarily like coding related, but I just think it's really interesting and, and a big play. So Microsoft for a good while has had their own streaming service, um, much like Twitch, but I never really heard anything about it. Um, and you think that that would integrate well because Microsoft makes games, they have the Xbox. You think that it would just be a little bit bigger. Um, but to increase viewership and attention, a couple months back, they lured Ninja, like the big Fortnite streamer guy, over to Mixer, which was a big deal, right? Like if you buy the the most popular person in streaming, um, that's a big statement. Last week, um, Shroud shared that he was moving to Mixer as well. And Shroud's like a former CSGO um, pro and it has a huge following on Twitch as well. He's moving over to Mixer. So suddenly Microsoft is like in the game of trying to get big time streamers and entertainers over to their platform. One of the ideas that I had early on, you'll probably remember, is that we do this show on Twitch. That would have been kind of cool, but logistically it was tough. Do you watch streams at all? Are, is any of this in your radar? I, I don't. This isn't this isn't in my like my daughter watches some like Minecraft people who do stuff like this, mm. but they all like push to YouTube is where she watches it. Um, you know, I don't really know anything about this, but this feels like Microsoft Playbook. Like this is the exact same thing they did with like the uh, um, developer advocate program for Azure. Like they just they threw money at people to get influential people to be on their team. And this just feels like they're just running the same playbook in a different market. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's a big um, money grab for the streamers themselves, but it's there. Take it. I just thought that was really interesting. I needed to share it. Um, and now we can talk about where all that money's coming from. What was your <laughs> news story for this week? Well, in other Microsoft news, uh, this week, uh, Microsoft was announced that it won the DOD, Depar U.S. Department of Defense War Cloud contract, nicknamed JEDI, over uh, Amazon Web Service, a contract worth over $10 billion, with probably a trillion dollars in spending over uh, 10 years. Uh, this was like covered in a bunch of press because Amazon was like widely favored to win this contract. But the fact that Microsoft pulled it out uh, is, is kind of a big deal for them and probably worth a lot. It really legitimizes their cloud offering over, over Amazon, which was you know commonly referred to as like the de facto standard. Um, but, but Microsoft winning this major contract with you know tons of implications, like if the DOD chooses Microsoft for this, that means a ton of like other government related entities are also going to switch over to this simply for like cross like resource sharing compatibility reasons. Um, and so I think this is a, a big, like uh, a big signal in the market that it's not like a dominant cloud market anymore. I don't want to get too far into politics, but I, I there were some rumors about uh, Jeff Bezos and Trump issues and Trump wanting to drop everything 
with Amazon. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened. Might have happened. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to go too far down it. that road. There, there <laughs> is. I mean, it is a pretty um, rigorous contract negotiation that takes place sure. uh, for like DOD stuff. But like, I don't know anything about whether or not uh, Trump or, or anything like that had anything to do with it. I mean, he is a loud mouth, like spouting off, but like whether that impacted anything, I'm not sure the DOD has a whole lot of respect for him at this point. There's that too. Uh, obviously, huge win for, for Microsoft. Um, I don't hear much about Azure at all. Um, it's always devs talking about AWS. So if Microsoft gets a big boost off of that, um, good for them. That's really yeah. That's really interesting, really cool. I think competition will be great if they can uh, they can step up that game. Absolutely. All right, so let's move on to today's main topic. Shipping without being perfect. Shipping without perfection. What does that mean to you? So the whole idea of shipping without perfection, let me back up. I think that a lot of our views are shaped by like our first experiences whether it's in dev, life, whatever. Um, my first job was at a small agency where shipping without perfection, uh, perfection wasn't really accepted. Um, you know, a client comes in, they pay for a site, put it up. They don't want to hear about bugs or doesn't look good on this device. It needs to be, you know, perfect from the outset. So that was sort of the mindset uh, that I came from. And then when I moved to SitePen, I was sort of introduced um, to shipping without perfection in that um, you would chip away at a given project. Um, and so in essence, you were sort of shipping without perfection, but it was still like in heavy development. Um, and then now at Mozilla, shipping without perfection is sort of like a, a mantra, right? Because a lot of the stuff that we're trying to do is get features out. They might be behind a flag. We might file... Um, follow-up bugs to, you know, f fix or improve something. But like I said, it, it's sort of a way of life. Um, so to me, shipping without perfections means getting something to the point where it's good enough because if you wait until it's perfect, it may never see the light of day. How about yourself? Like where do you, where do you come from on, on shipping without perfection? So ever since I was like a teenager – I started like recognizing in myself that I was a perfectionist. And uh, when I was young, I thought it was a really, it was a good thing. It meant like I was detail oriented and I would, you know, work on something until it was just right. And like, like if there was a project I was, I was into, like I would like agonize over every detail. Like um, when I, when I was in, uh, in high school, I used to make uh, levels for Duke Nukem. Like that was just a hobby and uh, I'd, I'd share them out on forums and a couple of them got published onto like those level editor, like CDs. And like, I, I have a picture of like myself standing with a box at target. And like, I have one of the levels on it. I didn't get paid for it. Like they just scraped all the levels off of the forum. But, uh, <laughs> but I had spent so many hours pouring over these levels that honestly, like, it didn't, it didn't matter. And a lot of them I just never released because they had to be quote unquote perfect. Um, as I kind of grew up and 
you know, got more exposed to the real world, I started seeing that perfectionism more as a liability than an asset because it meant that I lose tons of like productive time agonizing over things that I can't necessarily fix or that I shouldn't fix in the time required. Like if there is something in my my office or my workspace or my uh, or my life or my business or our product or something like that that i feel is imperfect it bothers me a lot right uh and and sometimes i can't i just can't do anything about it like this isn't something i can address other times it's something i could address but it'll take me weeks of effort to like do something silly and that it doesn't matter to anybody else um, and so I still struggle against that today is, is trying to not be bothered by it, just put stuff away because there's an old adage that I think is really true is that the perfect is the enemy of the good. If you try and, and get something to be perfect, it's never going to happen. It's never going to get out the door. Um, there's a, a, a related kind of quote in, in the startup world is that if you're not embarrassed by your release, then you waited too long to ship. And I think that like pushes against this drive that so many of us have for perfection is that you should be a little embarrassed about your UI. You should be a little embarrassed about the code quality. You should be a little embarrassed about all of those things because it's, it's both sides, right? It's what it looks like and what it does and how the code works are equally applicable here. You should be a little embarrassed about all three of those or you waited too long to ship. That's a really good point. Um, in, in sort of along the lines of embarrassment, um, figuring out when you're good enough, you need to assess a couple different things, right? So for me, one thing that is important is assessing what the user would think when we did ship. So there is such thing as shipping too early. And, and, you know, not only is it not perfect, but it's not very good either. That could be a real problem because you end up turning people off to what you've built immediately and they won't come back that second time to, um, to see how much it has improved, right? So that's one of the decisions that you need to think about before you ship. Um, another one is assessing the risk of, of breakage. Um, not only is something not looking great, but if it isn't functional, you again run the risk that people might not come back. So when you, like, do you agree with those things? Are there any other things that you would assess when it comes to shipping without perfection? I, I mean, I, I do. Um, I, I tend to believe that, um, that, I don't want to ship too early because people will, uh, you know, I'll make a bad first impression and nobody will come back. I don't really believe that because I think there's so many people out there and you have like in your head, not you specifically, but in generally in, in the developer's head, you have a warped idea of what people want because you are biased by your own knowledge and your own what you've built and what you think is important and if you're scared to put something out there because oh what if it doesn't 
what if David hates it? And because and then he he hates it so much that he never comes back and looks at it. Well, that's okay, I think, because you learn something. You learn that your idea wasn't good enough. You learn that, you know, here's the there's some things that are wrong with your idea. And there are many, many, many more Davids to look at it next time. Like if For, there's, a, there's only one me, man. There's only one me. I'm saying that like, the markets <laughs> are so much bigger than you think they are. The world right. is a huge yeah. place. And so even if you do alienate people, you've gotten experience shipping something, learning that that first release wasn't quite good enough, and there's plenty more people to market to next time. Um, and so I don't I don't think that that's a big deal. Now breakage, I think that's a really I think that's a really good point. If you're just adding something new to an existing thing like like the work that you do on firefox you can't just like slapdash put something out there because if you break one of the core features of firefox that's kind of a big deal there's a lot of people that would be impacted right absolutely yeah going back to the previous one i like when we don't agree on something because that's always the funnest like it reminds me so like my point is that i like i like to think of things in terms of sports, right? Because I'm a big sports fan. And you'll see how a young player shows promise. You're like, oh, this kid could really be something. But you throw him into a game that's bigger than he is or she is, um, you have a real chance of destroying their confidence. And I've seen it with players before where like, you, you put them in a game that they can't handle and you don't see them get back to thriving for six months, a year, two years, because you like that one experience has beaten them down. Another point is there is also the chance where, you know, myself or other developers come to your site. Um, it's not your site isn't, or your site service, whatever, isn't in a good enough state and they move on, choose something else. And even if you do improve, they're committed to that other thing. But I do understand your point that you're saying. How, how is that an issue, though? Like, if, if, if I launch something and it's not good enough and they move on to something else and they're committed to it, great. If I didn't launch, they were still looking for something and they would still land on something else and still be committed to it. It's a wash. That, oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, again, my main concern is that you're losing somebody, but your point is also very good. I think you've won. <laughs> I think you've won me over. This is a show no, first, no, everybody. Because I, I actually like your point of view about throwing somebody into a game that they're not ready for. That is, is a point of view I had, I had not considered on this before, is that what if... I launch something and it is just so very much not ready that it shakes my confidence enough that I don't want to play again. Um, that is a thing, I suppose. Like so I, I'm still undefeated on the show. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, like all things, the truth is contextual and lies somewhere in the middle based on where, you know, what the specifics are. Um, but yeah, I can totally see a, a a perspective here of if you're trying something 
and you're not entirely confident in uh, the idea and your abilities and what you want to do. And if you launch it, if it doesn't succeed right away, it could it could be a knock on your confidence. Um, As a developer and not a user. Yeah, yeah. As right. a developer, as at like, I mean, but that goes against that goes back to imposter syndrome of like, if you if you. There's no such thing as that overnight success. Like if you look out there and you look at the people and the software and the blogs and the, the, the people in the industry that you see as successful, none of those people got there overnight. And all of those people had like tons of failures in their past where they right. tried something and it didn't work or they'd been grinding out blog posts for 10 years or they had three failed companies beforehand or they had like tons of disasters in their past. Like everybody has like fucked up along the way and kept pushing. And so if you come into this and you're like, I'm going to release something and David and Todd told me to like go fast and just release it. And when you do, and you're not an immediate success, you quit. Well, I don't know. Don't do that. That's kind of a, uh, that's kind of like a personal failing, isn't it? Like if you, yeah. if, if you, if you release something and it doesn't immediately succeed and you, you, your self-esteem is crushed and you quit. Well, I mean, well, maybe you didn't have what it takes to do this. That would be a harsh truth, but it, you know, it adds to the list of things that people need to assess before they do ship something. But let's, let's, let's go back to more real life terms. Okay. You and I live in sort of two different worlds in that, yes. um, you know, I work on a massive open source project that where we like to experiment. We do like to move uh, fast, not saying that you don't, but your, you know, day-to-day experience is shipping something that's on other people's sites that, yeah. you know, you run the risk of breaking something on massive sites, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so I guess starting with you, what does shipping without perfection um, mean to you in that position? That's a good question. Um, so the context to this is that uh, the thing that I primarily do development on these days is uh, is the agent for TrackJS that gets pushed out and runs in other people's browsers, uh, runs in other companies' websites on their end users' browsers. And so if I push a change and like I break a bunch of sit of stuff, like there's a good chance that I have affected companies that weren't expecting it. And that has happened uh, where, you know, there's been a minor problem. We corrected it really fast, but like it, it does tend, uh, I mean, it, it's not a, a, a never happens occurrence. We all make mistakes. Right. Um, shipping without perfection means that um, there's a reasonable trade-off between productivity and risk to me. So when we first launched, the first version of the agent was very embarrassing in terms of like both like how it was coded and what it did and its quality. So for context, it, it, how, how long ago was that? 
six years ish. Six years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, but like the risk of that was that I wasn't breaking anybody's stuff. It's just people wouldn't use it. And so we we launched it. It was embarrassing, but it worked well enough that people used it. So I got value from it and it got better and grew. So when you say so embarrassing, did, embarrassing to you, um, I was per, I was personally embarrassed by it. So like if somebody else were to come in and look at the code base, I would have felt some shame in how things had been done. Okay, so the code base is what what you felt the embarrassment. Yeah, because there's not really a UI of the agent. There's like, you know, it's it's API, I guess. But like, I I didn't really feel terrible about that. Uh, more of just like, um, there probably wasn't enough tests on it at that point uh, that it needed, and it didn't. There was there was just some grossness that we needed to do to solve some problems that it wasn't worth like really addressing things and. Part of that is just my own my own baggage, right? It's not really that it was embarrassing. It's that the perfectionist in me saw things in it that I didn't like, and maybe nobody who'd look at it would even notice anything and like even care. But like I cared. I cared that like I didn't feel good about everything in it for un for stupid unimportant reasons. But we needed to ship it anyway because what we needed to do was we needed to get feedback about is this right. thing valuable? Does anybody care? Right now, six years in, and you know thousands of sites run it. That that equation has shifted a little bit, right? Um, there are still things like um, uh, things in the code base that I am personally embarrassed about. That I don't like how this problem needed to be solved, but it wasn't a big enough problem that warranted me spending more time to fix it in a more elegant way. But it worked and I'm confident that it works. And when we ship it, like I'm sure that everything operates the way it should operate. Because once I have users, there's a different level. Like I can't just ship any crap out into production right. and like whatever, like we're not Facebook here. Whoa, shots fired. <laughs> Um, yeah, most Facebook codes sucked ass. There, there goes that <laughs> Facebook contract you were working on. Oh, a $10 nuts. billion. Dollar, yeah, uh, I really contract. wanted to work with them. Uh, <laughs> hi, Facebook listeners. You should quit. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> Controversial. Uh, and, and, anyway, uh, you, we can talk about that offline. <laughs> If you are offended by that statement, DM me and we should talk. Um, anyway, but with with all these people using it, I can't just ship something that I would be um, concerned is not going to work. But what I will still ship is code that I don't necessarily feel is as elegant as it could be, especially if it's like a weird minor one-off bug there might just like it might just be yep that's another if check in a line of if checks that like whatever it's not the best i got to ship it we got to move on to other things so it's natural for shipping without perfection um your idea of it to change as your service and your product matures yeah i think it's contextual with what is the um What's the impact of failure here? 
is the impact of failure a hit to your ego or is the impact of failure um, loss for other people? And if it's lost for other people, I think that's a bigger, that's something you need to consider more than just, I launched something and people didn't like it. Okay. That's fair. It's what about really you? What, what do you think? What do you think about this? So like, yeah, you're in you're the world of you, I mean, you're in this big organization with a lot of people like both working on the code and a lot of people like dependent on the code uh, for like their day-to-day work and their okay. livelihood. How do you, how do you think about this problem? So it's taken me a long time to accept the idea of shipping without perfection. Like you, I like to think I'm a perfectionist. I'm really nowhere near perfect or anything that I do is. But um, Oh, no, 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 but yeah, that was not the point of being a, a perfectionist. No, being I understand. A perfectionist, I understand. It's more of a struggle than anything else. Sure. Um, so the way that it works with Firefox is actually really suited to shipping without perfection. Right now we have a six week release cycle. And so we go, we have three iterations of Firefox really, right? So we have Firefox nightly, which is where the broken stuff is going to be shipped to first. And then as things mature, they go to dev edition within six weeks. And then six weeks later, they get put into Firefox for real Firefox. Um, and so that gives us time to ship without perfection, get feedback because anyone that's using Firefox nightly knows that you're getting the latest stuff. That might mean something breaks. Um, and also we do have that, you know, six week window to fix things that are obviously broken. Um, that also lets us ship things in pieces so that something doesn't need to be perfect when it goes out, um, which really lends itself well to shipping without perfection. I've recently been working on fixing a couple of regressions that got introduced within the past month or so. And while I do lose some sleep at night, um, I'm able to sleep at night because I know that I do have that time to get something fixed. Um, And so, like you said, it's super contextual, right? I wouldn't be going to sleep if something was very obviously broken and was going to be in Firefox the next day, main Firefox. Um, But knowing that it's in nightly and knowing that people have an expectation that something might break and that's okay, um, that feels really good. And I think that that is a healthy way of looking at things as you develop them. Um, and knowing that the user has an expectation that something might be broken. And I think that's a big part of the the difference between you and I and the environments that we're in. I'm comfortable, I'm, I'm semi-comfortable in knowing that something could break. Whereas in your context, that's a much scarier prospect because you're affecting other people. Would you agree with that? Um, I don't know that it's scarier for me than for you. Cause like you have some safety nets built into your system that, um, that, that give you some assurances and we have similar safety nets. We have a canary release 
that like goes to some other people uh, who have a, a an expectation that that it might be a little less stable than the main line. Um, I think the only way that my situation is scarier than yours is that my personal reputation is tied up much more closely uh, with my product than yours is in that like, if Firefox has a problem, I don't know how many people will personally come at you. You'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I understand. Like you answer to clients. You answer, like you are going to get a phone call, correct? Yes. I would get a call or an email or a tweet or something. But people will, will contact me directly. And the feedback loop between um, uh, my customers and my business and my own livelihood is much closer than in a company kind of situation. Whereas like if if I release bad code to my customers, my customers will be angry. I will lose customers. The business will like make less money and then I will make less money in like a direct attributable feedback loop that will happen in matter of weeks um, of, 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 of terms of how fast that happens. Whereas if, David releases bad code. There's a whole bunch of other people who would also have to like see that code, check that code, let that code get through that it might end up negatively impacting customers if it gets all the way through, which might end up having a negative connotation on Mozilla, which probably won't come directly back to David getting a pay cut or or right. getting fired or anything. Like the the there's so much more what's the word like decentralization or it's just, it's the risk is spread around so right. much bigger that the personal um, implications are not as pronounced. Sure. I guess. That makes sense. That's so, how I see it anyway. Cool. So the last thing I wanted to touch on was how, how have you grown to accept that something that you are going to ship um, either knowingly isn't perfect or has the possibility to not be perfect? Um, it's an ongoing struggle for me, I would say, but not in exactly the way that you described it. Okay. Um, in that I have like... A, a desire, a push in, in my personality to make things perfect, um, to make, to, to whatever my idea of perfect is at that time, which shifts sure. constantly. But I have the strong desire to like push things and make them as perfect as they can be. And I logically know that that is a bad decision and reckless on my part in that I will never be able to get things perfect. And even if I do, I will spend more time and effort getting there than it's worth. And my idea of perfect will change in six weeks, nine weeks, a year, whatever. And, and that it's not an achievable thing. But I still want, I still, like when, when I'm, uh, 
when I can't, sometimes I just, I will waste a bunch of time and energy making something trivially perfect that doesn't need to be, and is just noise. And I will lose a bunch of time and effort and energy to, to doing that. Um, and struggling against my desire to do that, I think is, um, is my ongoing challenge. Do you and, feel like you're at a healthy point though? I mean, like you, yeah, you mentioned yes and no, it, it, it ebbs and it was like, I would say last week I was, um, uh, I was struggling with, uh, with something in my email with how, how well, a certain flow in my email, I wanted it to work. And I just, I had this idea of where I wanted it to be. Um, and I couldn't get there. Like I just, I couldn't make the tools work the way I wanted to. And I fought with them for a long time, for way longer than it was worth. Like at this point, nobody cared, but I cared. And I probably lost a day and a half of work chasing after something that was unimportant to anybody outside, but like it was my idea of perfection until I eventually like, Todd, that's dumb. Stop, stop it. Like nobody cares. Move on, move on. Move on. You got other things to do. Right. Um, and so that still happens, but like, I don't always like slap myself out of it soon enough. I still lose time in this fruitless pursuit of perfection. What, what about you? What do you think about this? How do you deal with? Much like, much like uh, imposter syndrome, I still have a hard time dealing with uh, shipping without perfection. Knowing that I have Firefox nightly, um, I take what I consider to be failure really tough, really personally. And so if something ships and I don't like a certain aspect of it, I'm exactly the same as you, where I start burying time and time and time um, into something without being able to mentally get out of it. And if there are other tasks that I need to do, I'll do them during work, but then it will like bleed into my outside <laughs> of work where I like, I'm up until, you know, God knows what time trying to figure it out. And I'm harassing all, well, harassing is the wrong word. I'm uh, DMing colleagues like, Hey, like, what am I missing here? So I still have a hard time um, not chasing perfection. But what I will say is that I've learned to, I've learned through enough experiences that my idea of perfection isn't actually perfection and isn't always what people are looking for. And so through those experiences, I've learned to be able to press the, you know, land button without something being my idea of perfection. So over my career, I've gotten much better at it, but it's still, uh, uh, I still sometimes equate something not being perfect with personal failure. And yeah. that's something that I'm trying to coach myself out of, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'd say that's a good place to wrap this up. Um, takeaways. What would you be your takeaway from today, David? Number one, I almost admitted defeat. But I snatched back to even, so I'm still undefeated on the show. <laughs> Second, one, one of the things that I love about writing and, and blogging about tech is that 
not, I don't come into every idea or every post thinking that I'm an expert at something. So I'll convince myself while I'm writing that my idea might be wrong or that there's a better way to do something. You know, maybe the code would be better by doing this. And then I'll get the additional feedback loop of publishing it and people commenting and telling me, oh, this could be this, this could be this, this is really cool. Um, and shipping without perfection is sort of the same way. And it, it, it's also why I love having this show with you because each time we jump into it, I learn something. I learn a different point of view that I wouldn't have heard had we not like talked it out. Yeah. So that's my, my key takeaway is I love, I actually love doing things without perfection more than I think. How about yourself? I, I liked something that you said earlier is that it's, it's more of a meta topic about the show is like, like you were just saying, when you and I talk about something and we have different points of view, we both like kind of learn a different perspective and it makes for a really good conversation. And I think we should do more shows like this where you and I have a different uh, point of view on something Hot and like takes. do a, yeah, do a debate kind of thing. I think those make for like pretty entertaining shows. At least it's entertaining for me to rec- for like this to record. Right. <laughs> I don't know if the audience finds this interesting, but I found this interesting. And so that's that's kind of exciting. I think we should do more shows where David and I disagree. Controversy. Yeah, controversy. That's what we should do. All right. Well, being that it's just the two of us, those are the only two hot takes you get. So <laughs> I'd like to know what you think of the show. If you liked it, you didn't like it, you want more of this kind of show, less of this kind of show, please let us know on Twitter. I'm or The show is Script and Style on Twitter. I'm at Todd H. Gardner. I'm at David Walsh blog. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We'll see you next time. The Script and Style Show is recorded and produced by David Walsh and Todd Gardner. We'll see you next time on Script and Style.